matter, kid? Don't you like clowns? Why? Don't we make you laugh? Aren't we? Come play with us, Danny. Bad luck to kill a seabird. Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Horror Flicks and Guitar Picks podcast. I'm your host, Trashmouth, and this week, my guest is the one and only Joe McKay, a.k.a. Joe Hardcore of the This Is Hardcore Festival, as well as the This Is Hardcore podcast. Now, before we get into this week's interview, I just want to say I hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving, and make sure that you're supporting some of your favorite companies out there this weekend for Black Friday. Now, with that being said, make sure you're following me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I just recently dropped the entire lineup for December, so go check that out on all of the socials. And here's the interview. Hey, man, how's it going? Oh, what's good, man? If you don't mind, just tell me a little bit about what led to you starting, you know, the This Is Hardcore Festival. You know, now it's going on to be legendary, but where did it get its start? Like all things, you know, it kind of built up. Yeah. You know, I think there are people who reach out to me now and speak about how they like to put on a festival. And then when I start breaking down, like, oh, what, what else have you done? There's not a lot of prerequisite information. And I know, I mean, it's got to be cool to think about somebody putting on a festival, but really when you say, you know, what, what did it take for me to get to that? I would say I started booking shows when I was 16 years old and had no fucking clue. Yeah. And through the early part of me becoming a promoter, I did, I made more mistakes than failures. And, uh, and, and I learned from people and I asked a couple people questions and I had some hints and, the long and short of it is I booked shows for a lot of years and wasn't great at it. I toured with some bands that weren't that great and learned more from it. Mm. And then right in the stride where I really started picking up at a better pace for booking shows, Hellfest in 2005 had fell apart in Trenton, New Jersey. And I had watched my mentor, Sean Agnew and my friend, Rich Hall and my friend, Robbie Red Cheeks and my friend, Tim Boer take Hellfest bands and within 36 hours had awesome shows in Philadelphia, Yeah, which then led me to think, yeah, why the fuck don't we have a fest here? So Sean Agnew from R5 Productions, who is single-handedly like one of the coolest DIY promoters in the history of punk rock, led, led me to be able to do my first as hardcore, but I wouldn't have been able to have the connections or kind of have a concept of what to do had I not spent all those years putting on shows that were either bad in the beginning it got better or just did tours and learn more you know yeah. so it was a accrued knowledge over time plus the serendipitous occasion of 2005 health vest falling apart and having the stewardship and mentorship from sean agnew that made that possible yeah it's kind of like some of these bands who think that they can just you know write an album and get signing on a big tour it's like you, you got to put in some of that you know smaller elbow grease sometimes before you could you know get the payoff or whatever of course well, i feel like they get lucky or whatever but I feel like there's two kinds of people. And I, and I say this, there's a lot of bands that have immediate organic growth mm. bands that show up and for whatever it is, people like them, whether they, whether they've been in seven bands or this is our first band and our 18 year old kids, those kind of bands jump out like wildfire. Turnstile is a beautiful example of that. Yeah. Um, even some of the newer bands like NEG uh, that are like a more on this, on the bigger front. I saw some of the bands that you booked. I mean, they're smaller than some of the bands that you had on your show. Yeah. But early on, 
there is a fire and a band can run with it. However, it, longevity and building a band up is always a smarter thing because you're building a wider base, a bigger network, and it'll kind of lend you to when you put out a record that maybe not be the best, you know? Yeah. But I agree. There is always that band that thinks we're going to write this rum record and that's going to be it. And it's the same thing. And I tell, I tell everybody when it comes to putting on a fest or a show, no one gets on the plate and hits a home run. And, and every time they're on the bat, even Babe Ruth struck out, I think. Yeah. Pretty sure he, even he struck out. So <laughs> I'm not a huge baseball guy, but I'm pretty sure even he did. But in, in, in consequences, often people find themselves only able to do something like a festival where they're potentially needing a complete sellout yeah. to break even. And, and I think people are afraid to start small. And I, I, can't, I can't tell, I can't advise people more, start small, build your network, make mistakes. And instead of blaming things else, take responsibility for them and learn from them, you know? Yeah. Especially like if, uh, like you said, you learn from these mistakes. So then that way, when they happen later, you know how to fix them and everything. But if your first time having the mistake is on a grand stage of this huge festival, because you never put in the small work, then that shit could be, you know, definitely way more, you know, way worse than it happened just at a little like three or four band show at a, you know, little venue. So it's also a weird thing that took place in the last 20 years with the internet. Early on, there was a buyer beware consequence. So like you had my friend Larry Dwyer on your show, who's an amazing horror dude, amazing hardcore guy. And I wanted to book death threat. And, you know, you almost had to strike up a conversation with somebody like, Hey, I'd like to get your band out of town for the first time. And, you know, I'm a 17 year old kid. Hey, can I get your band? (laughs) This grown man's probably like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Yeah. So, Someone down the line had hit up somebody who was like, yeah, yeah, Joe did this show. Joe did like, you had to have some prerequisite yeah. in the modern era. A band who doesn't have um, a manager or a booking agent with scruples to think about this will say, oh, well, this offer is really good. You guys want to do it? And the band's like, well, it's that much money. Of course, it, it has to be good. Where it's like, you know, if a band is getting a large offer in a market, in a scenario, that seems almost too good to be true. It's mostly too good to be true. Yeah. And yet this is in the modern era where you, where you had brought up colossal failure early on. It comes from that lack of buyer beware. And the only reason why I'm aware of it is I hear people like, yeah, I can't believe, Oh, you couldn't believe a guy was going to pay you three times what someone else might. Yeah. You didn't have any thought to worry that this could be meaning that it's not going to be a great show. There's no more buyer beware. It's just, jump at the big money and sometimes that does not work out well yeah that's when you end up with no gas money and in the middle of bumfuck egypt pretty much <laughs> yeah no no absolutely and i've and i've been in that world myself yeah so uh tell me a little bit about what inspired you to you know turn this is hardcore into a podcast i was a guest on quite a few podcasts and towards the last couple of years there was a couple that i would always hit in fact the, one of the coolest things we ever did, and I'm going to give a shout out to Joe, Cousin Joe from Black and Blue Productions. Hell yeah. He, he used a weekly radio show that was actually awesome to listen to. He would do it down at, EV, um, down at um, EVR Records or EVR Radio right downtown in like Manhattan, right there, Lower East Side. And it was a real fucking radio show. And these guys would play hardcore stuff. And early on with my life schedule, it was hard for me to get down there. He always thought I was blowing them off. And it was such a great time to go down to do the radio shows. And this is in 2011, 12, 13. Yeah. And then um, 
right about the time hardcore podcasts start kicking back up and without that radio show to promote at, I started really enjoying the aspect of being on podcasts and having quite a few friends that do them. It was fun to be on the ones that went well. Yeah. And then there was a couple of times where, you know, and I, I don't, I don't begrudge anybody and I don't, I, I won't like throw like people under the bus, but I think the best intentions sometimes aren't followed up with great follow through. Yeah. And I was also impeded sometimes by like, Oh man, that really was like, I didn't sound well. How come, you know, we should have did something different. So the whole thing didn't sound great. So to get into why I wanted to do it, there was people early in that stage who were like, you know, podcasting be a great way to market your fest. And I'm like, yeah, but who the fuck wants to listen to a weekly podcast? Oh, you do it once a month. I'm like, yeah, but then I was already aware that the more relevant your content is and the more often it comes out, the more interaction you get. Yeah. No we learn we learn that in our own pro promoting cycles mm -hmm. that so it was a concept that someone had brought to me and was like, I could pretty much set up things and I can basically a third party wanted to help us broadcast a podcast and then they would get experience. But oh, it just didn't yeah. sit well to talk about this hardcore in the regards of only fifty more weeks. Yo, we're down the third like it would just yeah. get I to me I think it'd be punishing, you know? So as a I I, I for a living do not I don't book concerts for a living, but you know, like my living does not come from shows. Mm. I am a union cement Mason. And that means I pour concrete. It means uh, there's like, I get on these big jobs where I might just grind walls and patch little holes for months on end yeah. in the winter time. So I, I got really in the podcasts about 14, 2014 into 15 history of Rome, Hardcore history, history on fire. I really love medieval history and Roman oh, history yeah. and a lot of antiquity. So I started checking up on these hardcore podcasts and I was like, man, some of this, I, I, I wanted to hear other things. Yeah. But my time frame, I do a lot of stuff. I didn't think I could do one. Fast forward again now, I have more friends doing them. I was even like, oh, how hard would it be to do? And I started conceptualizing where there would be a space for me to do what I want to do, where I found after, now we're talking. I think, you know, there was podcasts, the hardcore podcast about seven, eight years ago that are still running and new ones coming out all the time. But I feel like with the podcast I'm doing, there's a space where people haven't done the long format. Yeah. And there are conversations that I'm having that are directly related to the people that are doing shit, why they're doing shit. If it and, and how they're doing it, whether it's a new person, like the people from Year of the Knife and the old people. And, and there's been a lot of really good immediate interactions via social social media regarding these podcasts that I put out so far. Yeah. So I'm happy I waited. I'm happy that I get to have a uh, be on both sides of the mic and be on other people's podcasts. I mean, uh, I've been a guest multiple times on Post America podcast. I just had Richie, who's from Wisdom and Chains, on my podcast. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's a cool little small part of hardcore, like a, uh, Jeff, who's in a bunch of punk bands and a record store guy and a tattooer. He does a podcast with Vinny Paz, who's a rapper from Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. The podcast is called Broad Street Breakdown. Those guys are like a huge motivation. They hit me up. Yo, great podcast. This, this sounds awesome. Like, it's good to hear from friends yeah. that they're also doing it. And it's good to see and work off the energy. And now when I'm listening to shit that in a different way, I listen to obvious like Jocko podcasts every week. Yeah. I listen to jujitsu podcasts. I listen to Joe Rogan. Uh, not every guest I'd say like the more 
more often if it's just like a boring comedian, I probably won't listen to it unless it's like a Joey Diaz. But I listen to like a lot of the scientists yeah. and a lot of the different people. I listen to Lex Free, but I listen to a lot of weird science ones as well. I listen to Tim Ferriss. So now being on this side of the mic, now I'm hearing all the syllabants and stuff. And it's it's been really an interesting transition. But the plan with my podcast is to do it every week and to kind of keep the space that we have and just kind of keep working on making what I do each week better. Hell yeah. And instead of, like you said, counting down and making it kind of a dreadful thing, it's more of like highlighting the people and like the, you know, the vendors and guests that would be at the, you know, this is hardcore festival and stuff like that. What well, I, I imagine it's been hard too, because obviously in the COVID environment, we don't have hmm. an active, this is hardcore, so to speak. Yeah. So we will have a live stream. We will have a live stream event coming oh, up yeah. in November. But um, I haven't, I, I've talked about like, in, in conversation the way we and you and me and you were speaking mm. aspects of this hardcore, but I have not really had the opportunity to be talking about a uh, potential. This is hardcore to a guest yet. So I imagine we're going to go that route or maybe this is when we break out just a, a, a this is hardcore podcast. That's just focused on the fest. In fact, um, Matt from hard Times, somebody who I'd love to have on the show. And I've actually reached out. Hell yeah. But I reached out to him just saying, Hey, would you want to be a guest sometime? And he asked a really good question. He's like, what would you name it? And I was kind of like, dude, I'm really bad. I mean, I book under Philly hardcore shows. They've been calling me Joe Hardcore since I was 14 years old. My fest (laughs) is called This Is Hardcore Fest. I don't even know what to name something cool. And he's like, just keep it under This Hardcore brand. It's smart. And you guys can work from that. And that's honestly, had Matt not said that, Mm. I I I don't even know what we would have called it. Yeah. So I imagine, and I, I wonder if you have this problem too, but now that I've been doing it, and I mean, you've been doing it much longer, but I wonder if you've always been like, maybe I should do another one. Maybe I should do a, a podcast just for this. Yeah. I feel like the more I do it, the more I get excited and think, well, maybe it won't fit here. So I'll try it there. So I, I might end up doing another podcast like that. Oh yeah. I mean, no, I, I definitely think about that shit all the time. I just kind of try to tell myself, uh, you know, hold off, build this one up and then start another one. But uh, it's definitely hard. I always want to do bonus episodes that don't make sense. Like Twin Peaks episodes. I mean, which makes sense, but uh, you know, like I'll have like, I have I've pre-record just like I'm sure you pre-record your guests like a few weeks out and everything like I'll pre-record so far out that I'll start thinking about those episodes and I'm like that shit wouldn't even be out for three months and then by the time I would get around to you know starting to do research and all that I'm like booking more guests for the future already so it's like I don't even have time for that type of shit especially with like you know I have a newborn kid and everything and uh well congratulations congratulations on that I find that you. you're you you and I are actually doing the same thing so right now I have seven episodes out this Friday will be my eighth I have eight recorded episodes on top of this. I, I, if I record another three, I'm into 2021. So like yeah. now I'm like, shit, did I just really run out of a whole year already? <laughs> no, I'm actually, uh, by the end of this week, I'll be into December. But I was going to say your episode will probably come out like the last week of November, or like the third to last week. I think working ahead gives you the ability to have a couple weeks off. And I think yeah. that I think that you should explore the opportunity to try things that wouldn't fit in a normal medium. I know I'm doing something. Don't really want to get into it. Cause if it doesn't come out, I'll feel like a jerk off, <laughs> but with this extra time and not being on the mic and just editing this stuff and thinking about like, what could I do? That's different. I've definitely thought about researching and, and, and going in a different direction with a specific podcast. Yeah. But then it all comes out to time, you know, like I pour concrete, I go to jujitsu, I got stuff to do and we're still editing. I do everything myself. I edit. Same. Yeah. I, pro- I, I, I'm trying to get better with the promotion end of it. So where the, where the time in the podcasts, then, you know, I listen for errors. I try to think about good stuff. 
I still put probably I'd say 13 to 14 hours in every episode minimum. Yeah. So it still takes a bit. So I don't know if I have that time, but with the luxury of not feeling like I've got a recorder, I won't have something. I've definitely, my mind has wandered some. Yeah. I probably put about uh, only like five or six hours, but um, that's also because of the fact that my episodes have only been like 30 to 45 minutes recently. Some of my hour, hour and a half, th- two hour episodes, those have taken like, you know, 10 to 12 hours for me as long as like editing and all that shit. So. Well, what I did was I started listening to it from like a uh, Bluetooth thing, like mm. on my kitchen when I cook. Oh hell yeah! And I get and I get a different perspective how it's going to sound. And I like if I hear like a something I don't like or like a oh shit, this would be a great thing to have for promo. I have I like write notes down. Mm-hmm. Getting really crazy with the notes, like it's getting fucking bad. I'm writing shit on my hand at work. Like remember this. It's the the without this is hardcore to book and without the uh, the Philly hardcore shows to run and uh, promote. I definitely have too much brain time. No, I definitely feel you there for sure. Uh, every time I usually listen to mine, it's I usually try to just listen to it the one time while I'm editing it and then uh, just put it out just because I don't want to get like like mixed up with the episodes too much because they come out, you know, weekly and shit like that and stuff. You know, then I got another interview to do. So I don't want to get I try not to burn myself out with my own podcast. You know what I mean? Especially because it's felt, the same topic. I felt, pretty much. I felt that way. Um early on where like I was, but I think it's cause I was had, had my, my, my own voice in my, in my earplugs, like yeah. in my headset. The minute I went to the, like the, the Bluetooth way I would listen to something else. I was able to detach and hear it from a separate perspective. And I felt better about how it sounds. So I'm like, yeah, not everybody's going to have this studio headset on. It's not going to sound like, you know, like I was mm. being far too critical over small nuances. Oh no, I know exactly what you mean. Like right now you have a professional uh, microphone and this sounds great, but uh, I'm actually editing tomorrow's episode like a little bit earlier today. And I was just, uh, it was Jay and um, Logan from Rhythm of Fear. And they were just like sitting in front of their phone, like, you know, like with it posted up. So, you know, of course there was nothing professional about that. So (laughs) it was like, sometimes you got to roll with it. (laughs) That's one of my biggest fears because I've been Mm. in that scenario. And in fact, there was one podcast where I'm out in my car on my cell phone and I got bad ADHD. And if you're a friend of mine, we're on the telephone. Mm. I'm either ordering food. Now I'm getting better. I'm on a diet. So I haven't really been hitting the drive through lately. Yeah. But uh, in the middle of this interview of the podcast, I literally pulled over, went into the pizza store and ordered a cheesesteak <laughs> as I'm doing the podcast. And I'm like, Oh, and my dude, my dude, he's like, yo, you really ordered a cheesesteak in the middle of your podcast. I'm like, Dude, I was getting hungry. I got ADHD. I wasn't even thinking about it like while I'm recording because I just thought I was on the phone. Yeah. So I've gotten lucky that I haven't had a situation like where someone's just using like a bad recording because I probably would tell them, hey, let's stop and let's make this more like a better, you know, because it's a long thing. No one wants to listen to a two or three hour podcast. Yeah. And the guy sounds like he's inside one of them red solo cups they use for beer pong. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. That's one thing I do like about Zoom is, and I mean, that's the one good thing about, you know, doing this in 2020 is most phone uh, microphones actually sound pretty good. Cause like they sounded good. It's just in comparison to, you know, you use an actual microphone. It's definitely not, you know, as good. So that's what I was just saying is like, sometimes you want, you always want it to sound like this, but you know, you can't always expect, I guess, you know, people that are just used to being guests and stuff like that to have a setup. No, but, it's, and that, I think that's one of the hardest things to do is get somebody to have a, a decent setup yeah. or explain like, Hey, this is ways we can mitigate, uh, poor poor audio quality, but I mean I've had hiccups when everything's set up right. So yeah, same. Not for you. So before we go into uh, horror movies, I just want to ask you like one hypothetical question about you know your podcast. If you could have any dream guest, uh, who would it be? Currently, 
I, I put a, on this no echo, I had like a list of five yeah. dream guests and four of them are going to be on the show from that. Oh, hell so yeah. I, I, like, I feel humbled and kind of like, man, was I supposed to shoot higher? Mm-hmm. So um, I wonder if this sounds dumb, but like, you know, you can't talk to a Henry Rollins because he's been on fucking everything. Yeah. Everyone was like, dude, how great would it be to talk to like Ian McKay? And, and and for me, my, my head goes everywhere. It's like what the best guest that like, not the best guest that no one would have. It's not like how you book a hardcore fest where you're trying to get like a reunion thing. Yeah. But I think the coolest thing ever would be if I could do a podcast with like probably something more like uh, a Roger from Agnostic Front. Mm-hmm. And we just go through and talk about not the music and the things, but like the LES and being a punk person and how the fuck did they know how to like wire electricity to a squat? Like there's all these weird aspects that are like you just like a, just like a horror movie. Like you don't think about like how the fuck did they get over that fence? Yeah. Cause it's just a fucking movie. But then like, so we're, 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 we're given this amazing culture of like people that look from New York and different places that were like living in cars and shit. But like, I want to go deep. And be like, how did that work out? Like, how? Like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. And I think that down the line, that's something that I would like to try to do more than I probably any, more than any other person that I could speak with would just be trying to get into the weeds of the how and why. Because I think the how and why is such a great story and so much cooler than talking about what a new record of new band, uh, a band has coming out. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. That's like sometimes I'll try to have a guest from the horror world, and some of my favorite people are the composers, and I like to have the ones that like do like different things not just like you know play the piano the whole time and shit like that I like to have the ones that they have to ex- actually explain how they got certain sounds and shit like that you know what i mean like there's a process to it so yeah it's a totally different aspect and something that yeah. you can totally take into a different direction than they've probably already been on other shows you know yeah no doubt no so i'm with you so going into horror movies man uh what was your relationship with them growing up and you know like what is it now my relationship with horror movies got pretty dark super quick. I'm, I'm not going to get too emo about it, but um, I didn't have a great relationship with my father growing up as a, I'm talking, I wasn't even five years old. Yeah. And I was punished for the way I reacted to a specific movie. And hmm. this movie, I just recently was talking to a friend about it. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about this movie? It's a movie called Without Warning. Uh, there's some aliens and they're throwing these like flying bloodsucker things. And as like a two or three year old kid, that's how young I was. Yeah. It fucking tripped me out. And it kind of put me like a, if I wanted to be a, a completely crybaby, but it was a very traumatic experience. And then his reaction to my traumatic experience just doubled down on the trauma. Yeah. And this is where someone say, and because of that, I never watched a horror movie. That isn't the case. You know, by the time I was six or seven, you know, I was pretty unregulated. I didn't have a kind of parent parenting mm. that would say, hey, this is not, you know, you can't watch this. And I was a child of the 80s, so early on, I would say, as the Freddy Kruegers and all that stuff, the Jasons came out, I was pretty much aware of that stuff. And then, um, you know, you, you'll, you get you get locked into it, especially if you're sleeping over a friend's house. My favorites were probably uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, the Dream Warriors, because of the Dungeons & Dragons. Hell yeah. The Jasons were pretty good for a while. And then uh, I really, really trip out and still love Nightbreed. And oh, yeah. I remember the first time as a young kid seeing Hellraiser. 
Like, uh, and it was always one of these things where, like, you know, you're young. You're not. I'm not even ten years old. Yeah. So my my mom's watching it with her friends, and I come down, and like that scene with the block and the and the body parts. And I, I so early on, I would definitely say like the Wes Craven stuff, definitely the more gory things. Mm-hmm. And then into my 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 preteens, I, I I hung out with a lot of heavy metal people who were obviously older than me, so I was exposed to a lot of porn early, a lot of crazier horror early. Yeah. Um, my favorite of that would probably be a movie that's not horror, but it is horror. It's uh, an old movie called Student Bodies. Are you familiar with this? No, I've uh, actually never heard of that. Tell me about it, if you don't mind, without uh, spoiling it. You know, that way I can check it out. Uh, Student Bodies is the uh, archetypal high school slasher film mm-hmm. that is possibly the stupidest and silliest humor in the history of the fucking world. <laughs> like, I'm sold on that abs- shit already. <laughs> the, the absurdity in it still lasts. And uh, my oldest running best friend still to this day, I can quote, like I can hit him with a quote on a text. Mm. And it'll just start going. So like, you know, student bodies is definitely like in there. And then I was still a VHS person, you know, like I wasn't into DVDs. We didn't have them, Mm. you know, that's the error. So as blockbuster video started taking out the local video stores, we were able to get the traces of death and the faces of death and like legit murder stuff. Like all that stuff really became paramount. So then by the time when like other horror was coming out, it was kind of like, well, it's not faces of death, but it's pretty cool. You know, like, I mean, yeah. a- as a young headbanger, which is what we were, we were like, you know, hanging in cemeteries and playing Dungeons and Dragons. So very much attached to horror, but like, you know, like I don't go to, I don't go to horror cons, all my friends do. Yeah. I can't, I can't tell you every single actor's name, but if it comes on, I'm going to watch it. And it, it's, it's still something that, especially the older, the older ones, I still get locked in on, especially like, I, I don't know why I always thought Nightbreed was a really cool concept. I know, doubt. Uh, I've always enjoyed um, specifically horror about uh, serial killers, and um, I think franchise-wise, I probably watched and enjoyed more of the Hellraisers than say like the Friday the Thirteenth. Mm. And um, you know what? I, I'll say this fucked up. People might hate me for this. Uh, as a child, the music from Halloween Three fucked me up. Really? And the, ma- and the masks was very uh, off-putting. Yeah, I was thinking I was like six or seven when that one came out, and I remember being on TV a lot, and I was freaked out by that. No, I but love I that also, movie, but I didn't see it till I was older. So I'm sure as a kid, it would have scared the fuck out of me. And then, like, uh, obviously, older stuff like The Thing and Phantasm was always kind of like wild when that would come on. And yeah. we didn't have we didn't have cable till I was like probably almost ten or so. So a lot of the a lot of that stuff was coming out. I would see it like after it was already out, you know. But you got to remember, I was 10 in 1990. So a lot of the stuff that would come out later on that's kind of like over the top yeah, was on DVDs and like the 2000s and stuff like that. Have you seen any uh, like recent horror movies that have come out in the past like, you know, five to 10 years that you really enjoyed? In recent times, I've really gotten into um, a lot of the Japanese stuff and foreign horror. Hell yeah. Um, specifically, my wife put me onto the Swedish Let the Right One In, as I believe, I believe that was named. Yeah. There was a really fantastic... Uh, vampire movie that was shot in Iran, right? And it was like a black, it was a really interesting movie. I think it's a girl walks home alone at night. Yeah, really good. I like a lot yeah. of foreign films. I find I have no problem with the horror trope and I have no problem laughing at it. And, you know, uh, gotta remember I was like 19 or 20 when all the screams were like coming out. Yeah. So like they were cool, but it, I was already into hardcore punk and like get ready to tour. So, my i would look in the, look in the world of like heart like like everything anything that wasn't hardcore or heavy metal 
when I'm on tour and stuff like that, I wouldn't know what movies were coming out because I'm away from home four months a year. Yeah. But uh, I really got into the Japanese stuff, especially like Battle Royale. I, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed Old Boy. And then I, now as a, a fine-grown adult, I've got the shutter. So um, Mandy, I watched on my old TV that wasn't that great, and then we got an updated TV recently. Mm. And I watched Mandy again with the lights off, and I was blown away by the colors. Hell yeah. Um, now I love that one. I'm really big into paranormal and sci-fi stuff. So uh, I was really psyched about Cutler out of space, which uh, as a fan of HP Lovecraft, any, mm. any, any kind of like adaptation of film, HP Lovecraft, I'm going to be behind my favorite author as a kid growing up was Stephen King. So all the Stephen King movies, yeah. even as they come up, um, I only seen the first season of the Stephen King TV show that was on Hulu. I stay in touch, but like, again, like uh, I was blown away by hereditary blown away by, um, Midsummer, hell yeah! Um, I like the, as well. yeah, I like the witch a lot. You know, like sometimes dark and brooding, what is better than guaranteed like uh, trope level fashion? My wife likes that American horror show or AH AHS. I've seen yeah. a couple episodes and some of them are pretty gory, but I'm not really into spending like hours on hours watching shows. Like I can't change my entire life around for a TV show to come on. And I know I could watch them in other times, but I'm always on to the next thing. So I found some of those scenes to be pretty fantastic. Some of the more bloody, gory ones. I really like these weird movies like that movie. You ever see the Cube? Cube? Cube 1, Cube 2? Yeah, I've seen the first one. I've never seen the uh, sequel, but you're talking about where the people like, wake up and they're inside of a cube. Literally. <laughs> like, yeah, all right, so uh, my uncle Rod is a retired Navy chief, and he lives in Florida. And on tours, we would stay with him. And he was on the internet way early on because he was a retiree. So he would burn these DVDs just for when we would come down on tour. So like I saw Equilibrium, which really isn't a horror movie. It's a, like a, 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 a dystopian, like, you know, 1984 type movie with Christian Bale. Yeah. So he exposed us to the Cube movies. There's Cube. There's the first Cube. And the guy says the great line, you don't want the boot. <laughs> I still say that to my wife. It's like the stupidest thing. <laughs> but then like the second Cube is different than the third one's Hypercube. I don't know, man. I don't need, I don't need like major motion picture quality to yeah. enjoy horror and i feel like sometimes the more major motion picture it is the less enjoyable it is with the exception of that one that was pretty tropey the uh was a cabin in the woods yeah that was pretty good and then there was one oh, i'm really bad with movie names but i know i've seen the movie theater about the poison water and everybody got sick we saw that oh, in shit. 2003 and we got into a car accident after that movie but that was pretty fucked up and cool cabin about, fever cabin oh yeah, yeah yeah uh eli yeah. ross first movie i believe yeah that was really good um obviously the i love the fucking hostile movies Hell i yeah. love the hostile movies i i've, I've watched up to saw five mm. and I, i've never seen anything else past that i'm trying to think of other movies that like i mean in recent times i'm up to horror you know like i wouldn't pass like a super horror nerd test yeah you know but i'm aware of it i like it i did enjoy the Rob Zombie updated stuff. Hell yeah. You know? No, I'm a huge fan of Rob Zombie's movies. I know they get a lot of hate, but... Uh, I Which mean, ones get hate? Uh, what Some people hate on all of them, and then some people just hate on, like, the remakes, and some people, like, some people just didn't like his newest one. So it's it's really up in the air. Some people, like, immediately hated on House of a Thousand Corpses, but some people just hate on, like, the Halloween remake and stuff like that. So House of a Thousand Corpses, my wife and I just rewatched. Yeah. Just we hadn't seen it in so long. All the little cutscenes that he shot on his own, like with the little, you know, with a different camera, was great. He yeah. added a different level to it. 
Um, I had a, an early DVD version of that, that uh, he was talking about all the mess ups and like, Oh, this is where we kind of really ran out of money and time. And like they had the subplots didn't work out well. Yeah. I really, I really enjoyed house of thousand glimpses. And I was actually, we were on tour at shattered realm, the band that I joined that was already kind of a band. Yeah. And in 2004, I think it came out or maybe it was either 2004 or 2005. We went and seen it in St. Louis, the devil's rejects. And, yeah. and I was fucking, I was blown away by that. It was a fantastic film. Oh, and yeah. then uh, because I've shutter, I've seen 31 a bunch. I liked it. I yeah. actually, I actually really liked it more once I saw three from hell because I understood Richard break better. Yeah. Like the first time I gave it a pass, I was like, Oh, that was pretty cool. But then after uh, my friends and I, uh, we all went to the movie tavern to see Three from Hell the second night it was out. Yeah. And again, I like again, I like Rob I like Rob Zombie. I thought that was fucking great, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I love all his uh, movies. I actually saw thirty one on the night that it did like the one night release or whatever and uh in the movie theater. And I really liked it the first time, but I didn't love the ending of it. But it's one that I've probably found myself rewatching like a lot because it's just like a fun ride of a movie. It's very, I feel like it's very Halloween-y, like Haunted House feeling, just like House of a Thousand Corpses is. No, and that's, I mean, I guess in the same horror and, and hardcore have the same kind of lineage in that like a lot of the stuff was DIY in the beginning. I mean, especially like, I don't, you can't call the trauma film specifically horror, but you can't say they're not horror adjacent, so to speak. Oh, no doubt. But like, yeah. But um, horror horror was had a lot of DIY in it, and how they made these movies, and how they did it with the lower budgets, and how they were streamed. You know, they were horror is not seen as the serious genre, same yeah. way hardcore punk is. That being said, uh, all things considered, you know, um, whether you're watching something like Dead Snow, which is like a fucking funny movie about Nazi zombies in the snow, mm-hmm. or you're watching a crazy serious movie like The Witch. You know, like there's a lot of there's a lot of different variants to it, but I think some people get so you either are genre purists or you're just like uppity and you only like specific things. And I I can't I can't really get behind all that because I'm not I'm not a horror expert. You know, I like I like what I like. I'll watch it. I'll watch a movie for three hours. Like Suicide Club is a great example of an off putting movie that may not be by genre definition a true horror movie. Mm-hmm. But it's off-putting and unsettling, you know. Uh, the yeah. same thing with that movie. Oh, what the hell? A Tale of Two Sisters was another crazy one. Hell yeah! Uh, a lot. I, actually, I think of the. I think in the Asian European bracket is really where I find the most interesting stuff mm-hmm. because they could take things on a completely different level at times. Like especially in Korean, like that. Um, the audition was nuts. Like the like you know like, and it's not it's not giving you the slasher film vibe. So some American audience probably doesn't enjoy it as much as a true horror. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not aware of it, but I'll tell you what, that shit's off putting man. And then there's <laughs> that, the real gory one is about the cop. Oh, I saw the devil. Fuck. I still haven't seen that. I've had it recommended to me Fuck. several times and still have not seen it. <laughs> Bro. You want to talk about just like off putting fucked up. It's like, there's a level of like, so what is horror? is really the question what yeah. what is like what like what are, what are, like what is horror you know is it tropes is it a zombie movie if you want a zombie movie you got trained to Basan to me is like has the best example of both what a crazy zombie movie should be like this horde of zombies and everyone's dying but then the real horror is like seeing that the have you ever seen that movie trained to Basan 
that's one that I've seen, but it was back when it like first started hitting streaming services. So I don't like remember a ton of the deets. Like I remember the like, main plot of the movie, but uh, the end, the kid is literally singing a song in yeah. a dark tunnel, and it ends. And if you're a human being, you're gonna be crying. No, yeah, I remember you being know? sad as shit when it ended. <laughs> And I mean, I have to, I have to say like, you should be emotionally attached to mm. it's, you can easily watch a movie that's funny and it's just mo- monsters getting killed. And that's one aspect of horror. Yeah. But I mean, there's also a darker element that touches the real soul. And I think that's the basis of like what we kind of hide behind by like the gore. It's like, Oh, but you know, that's too, that's a brutal fucking movie. Yeah. Now I know exactly what you mean. I've always felt like horror kind of is uh, like, you can kind of slap at least you know the subgenre of horror onto anything that it's like you fear you know you fear for the protagonist through most of the film however i guess you could technically say well uh in die hard you fear for the guest of the fucking hotel so it's like i guess somebody could take that you know idea and run away with it and try to say that other stuff that's not horror has the same concept but i just feel like if you're watching a movie and you feel like like for instance i watched rewatched the conjuring 2 uh we were out of town at a hotel this past weekend and i woke up in the middle of the night and it was on and i was like fuck it i'm watching it so I rewatched The Conjuring 2 and there's like parts of that movie where, you know, like you just feel like without that family getting outside help or anything, you know, coming to their rescue, they're completely fucked. And it's like, I feel like that's kind of the concept of like horror is like, or even just like the fact that they might be or might not be. So it kind of gets real hard to define horror, but I feel like anything that somebody might be scared of, because like you said, I mean, when you grow up watching Faces of Death, Scream's not scary, you know, like that's. Like when you watch Cannibal Holocaust, you can't really be grossed out by a uh, human centipede. You know what I mean? So it's it's hard to like say what's horror nowadays because, you know, what might not be scary at all to you and me might terrify the shit out of some like 15 year old, 16 year old kids. So. Like for me, I had a face injury as a kid mm. and I had to have surgery a couple of times. And so anytime an eyeball or someone's putting some fucking needle near my, my, uh, my wife will be like, Close your eyes. You already, and I'm like, oh, I already know. They're going to fuck this guy's eye. Like in real life, not watching a movie, we recently really started getting into going to those like haunted houses. And I've never done that as a kid, never had the money, whatever. Yeah. I, yeah. I can definitely watch to this day. I could go on the gore, like the gore websites and the, the YNC and watch like Mexican cartels chop people up and it doesn't affect me. But if I'm in some fake haunted house, as soon as something jumps out, I'm screaming as loud as hell. Ah, like there's a fun aspect to horror too. Like so, like the Baba Duke freaked me the fuck out. Yeah, freaked me out. Conjuring one, two, insane, sinister. Like all the movies, just they like they have a menacing like tone, and uh, I I really like that aspect. Like it's kind of like the thrill, you know, like the like mm. emotion. I don't. It's a different element of an emotional roller coaster. You know, like you know something's gonna jump out. You know something's gonna be weird, and I, and you know going back to like a hereditary. That may that movie made you like not feel comfortable because you couldn't guess where the ending was gonna go. Yeah. And uh Midsummer specifically, you knew what you were walking into, and then they, they upped it up in Annie, you know. Um recently I watched this German movie. It's so fucking weird. And again, I'm I grew up watching a lot of movies with subtitles mm. and never so I can watch a two hour movie about some woman and how she's like living in this hut and the villagers are fucking with her. And you can never really tell if she's a witch or not, but the, it was more dark and brooding in the witch kind of way. Is it called like a Haguzan or something like that? Yeah, 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 exactly. I couldn't, thank you. I couldn't remember the name. Yeah. 
I, I just gave it a shot because I just like, you know, I mean, yeah, I could put on a Saw movie. Yeah. I could put on something on Shudder and I could I could check it out. I I, I watched a couple of funny movies like uh, Satanic Panic was one and I checked that out. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like a lot of it, you know, but I, I also think Rosemary Rosemary's Baby was a creepy ass movie. I think um not that not that it's horror, but if you gotta think about it for the time period, uh the seventh seal. Yeah. Igmar Berman. Like I mean, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. That's why I talk about subtitles. Oh yeah. Like I like I, I love that movie. You said you checked out the episode with Larry Dwyer. Did you uh have you seen the movie Terrified yet on uh Shudder? It's like a Argentinian film, I believe. So I actually was trying to look for it because I thought he was talking about this clown movie that I always see like promoted Terrifier. Yeah, he, he hates that shit. <laughs> well, see, that's where I'm getting at. It's like, so there's a movie that's great. Like, all right, for instance, I like that movie Valhalla Rising. Yeah. And I like slow, dark. Uh, I like the weird ambience. I like the uncertainty of knowing where the plot is going to go. Did I enjoy the Final Destination movies? Yeah, I mean, because you knew someone was going to die and gory, and that's cool. Yeah, no, I enjoyed but the that uns- well. the the pace of a movie makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of cool shit that comes from the correct pace and the the scare. I mean, that's what that's what makes Texas Chainsaw so dark, man. Yeah, like you get a you get a couple weirdness in the beginning of that guy and the weird off putting thing of him rubbing the blood on the van, and then after they kill the first two or three people. The rest of it is just a nightmare of what she's going through. And you're having to deal as a voyeur through all the terror that she runs through. Yeah. She screams for like the last 40 minutes of that movie. (laughs) And like, you know, again, like, you know, obviously that was driven really by the protagonist and she was just kind of stuck there. But yeah, you know, when I think about a horror movie, that's great. I think about whatever makes you uncomfortable, even if it leads you in like some fucked up directions, like, a non-horror movie that you almost want to say like is be like a dramatic movie. Yeah. Was uh that Willem Dafoe movie, The Antichrist. Dude, that movie, yeah, that fucking that's one that some imagery will haunt your ass. But like you said, it's like you could also argue that it might not be a horror movie. It's just kind of like an art. Well, film. I, you know, like um, you know, like in the in the terms of hardcore, yeah. there are bands that look it, sound it, sort of. Maybe it played shows, but are they? I don't know. And, yeah. and the same thing, like. I know that I watched the Antichrist and it, it, it made me more unnerved than if I went on shutter and just picked some trope. Yeah. But then again, I really enjoyed the void, which when that thing came out, I think it was like two years ago, the void came out. Mm. People were like, Oh, that wasn't that great. It's like, well, what do you want? You know? Um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm a, the void. I thought it was excellent. You know, like, again, I think a lot of people who are now modern, hardcore horror fans and hardcore fans if we want to go there don't read enough books and so you know the imagination is limited you know yeah. the information is limited that's why like uh the color out of space is incredible and i heard that they're going to be doing more hp lovecraft movies and i think that's what people need because yeah you see like with stephen king's adaptation of the mist like the story written was better than the movie mm. and i can't believe the ending that they put onto it and I feel like if people can touch into some of the earlier stuff that was written, they have a better scope because reading it, I mean, I was a fan of The Stand as a book. I, I watched the movie, TV show, and uh, I actually re-watched the show. And I was like, why were we scared of the show? Because the movie is a thousand times scarier, you know? Yeah. But now when Stephen King puts out a new book, I'm less scared by it. I'm more just excited to read something new by him. 
Yeah. You know, where previously if he put something out, I knew it would blow us away. Now, I know what you mean, though, about uh, especially like to go back to uh, Antichrist really quick. It's like it's like, is that horror? But at the same time, it's like like you said, that leaves you feeling so much more disgusting and like unnerved than like Reanimator, which somebody would a 100 times say was is a horror movie. But it's like kind of just like a goofy, bloody, you know, fun movie. It's, there's nothing really horrifying about Reanimator. There was. Yeah, there was. Oh, I'm trying to get this. There was a, um, a sh- you know, again, because I, I get Shudder for the simple pleasure of having the opportunity to see different movies. Yeah, because they have a bunch um, of uh, awesome originals, I'll say. Yeah, and, and specifically, it was just something cool, but they had this movie that was uh, based off an H.P. Lovecraft idea, and uh, I, I won't, I, I don't want to talk about a movie, I can't remember the name. This is the, the bane of my existence, seeing a movie or not knowing the name of an actor. Yeah. But what I was getting to is, is like, sometimes it's better to see a shittier, a shittier movie that's lesser known if it's going to be darker. And I think that's like when you go back to like someone said they may redo, unless you're going to take it to some level that you can't take it to like the new, uh, the new cannibal, the new cannibal Holocaust movie came out. Like it was cool, but I wasn't, I was much happier as a kid with the other one. Yeah. The green Inferno. Uh, that's it. Yeah. That's it. The green Inferno. We, my wife and I went and seen it in TV and I was like, all right, this wasn't as crazy, but I, are, is it because we're not adults? I mean, because we're not kids. Is that why it wasn't as great? I don't know. Yeah. And what but, movie um, did you say that they're uh, – sorry, it cut out like right when you said the title of what movie they're talking about redoing. Um, but I so they're the redoing the Hellraiser? Oh, yeah, which actually luckily Clive Barker, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he put in like a – like filed kind of like a lawsuit or whatever, not like uh, suing him, but he's like trying to keep the rights. So if I'm not mistaken, it's gone into a limbo. So when it was supposed to be kind of done soon – but because of that lawsuit, I believe it got put into like a few years of limbo. So we'll see if it actually gets made. But if it does, I, I wouldn't mind them doing it. But I'm just like, I'd rather them give me the kind of like a, just give me a sequel and bring back Doug Bradley or just do like a whole new movie with Doug Bradley as, because the whole thing about the Hellraiser series is it doesn't have to be like the Cenobites can go to anybody. The, intag- the protagonist doesn't matter. It's just all about the Cenobites and the limit configuration. So you could really just do like a whole new movie about a whole new protagonist, you know, final girl type deal and just bring back Doug, Doug Bradley and the original Cenobites and shit. So, so what I gather without really thinking about this too deep, but from what my minimal understanding is that mm. there is a commercial value and constantly returning to a franchise because they consider it like a, there's more value in intellectual property. And if I'm wrong, go fuck myself. But this is what I was told by somebody else. So instead of someone taking something that was already established and reworking it into a newer idea, they feel like there's still more financial value in continuing with the intellectual property. And that's why you see these constant revisitations of the Halloween. And I think they're going to beat some of those ideas of death. Meanwhile, as another reason why you look at foreign film more, dude, oh boy, there's never another movie like it. Yeah. It's fucked up, man. You know, like, uh, the I saw the devil it, captivating emotionally a roller coaster, and you just didn't feel great at the end. You weren't like, man, that was fucking great. You're like, what did we just watch? Yeah, dude. You know, and I, and I feel like going back to what I said previously, that's that's what horror should also be. Um, the last, the first time I felt that in a while was the movie The Strangers. Hell yeah. Well, real quick, before we talk about Strangers, I do want to say, I know that a lot of the reboots and stuff, because I learned this because of the Spider-Man being rebooted a bunch of fucking times, is that uh, 
there is a certain thing with like rights to where if they do not use characters in a certain amount of time that they will just lose the rights. So like they'll just go to public for somebody to buy. So I know that like a lot of times when like they did the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, it was like one of those things that they were new line was getting really close to losing Freddy, you know, Kruger and the, the right. That's why they were able to do like child's play, but they weren't able to use like, uh, but they didn't use like the original Chucky because at this point, child's play has been so, you know, it's been so long since there's been an actual child's play movie. They were able to use that franchise without like Don Mancini's consent who wrote the entire franchise and shit like that. But it's, I imagine that I'm not, I'm not able to, to speak on this. I probably shouldn't, but I think that, you know, is it better to hold on to something and, and re rework it or, you know, let it be and move on. But I guess, these guys have only struck oil one time and this is their one thing. And maybe yeah. they signed away. There's probably something legally where they signed away something they didn't expect to sign out. Like, you know, the, to sign away. Yeah. And like, Oh, who's going to really care about this? You know, like probably the same way, like some old hardcore bands now are like, fuck, look at all this shit that, you know, people bought for a hundred dollars. We didn't press another seven inches, you know, like yeah. in that same regard. So there's, you know, there's another parallel there. Yeah. Well, and like what you said uh, goes like right along with it because, you said it's uh, not necessarily the cash grab part of them like doing like the quick route sometimes of just like kind of like rebooting, you know, instead of doing a complete, you know, new thing. Sometimes they'll do like the rushed, you know, quick product or whatever. And it's, uh, it could be for the cash, but it also could just be because they need to get that product out, you know what I mean, before they lose the rights. So it's like that quick route ends up being sometimes the better thing and sometimes the shitty thing. Like with Halloween, every time they were trying to do something, it was uh, like literally, you could tell because it was like almost 10 years apart like the past two movies before this one were like 10 years apart and it was because they were coming up on like losing the rights and shit like that so i mean it makes sense yeah um you know different different films than this uh the repetitive yeah. ones that are just like but i did enjoy the halloween stuff that came back out and i i liked i like when someone takes an idea reworks it and adds a different perspective and i in that regard i think that that stuff's pretty important too if someone, especially someone who has the skill to rework it, like a Rob, like Rob's vision was great. Yeah. And I, I, I liked it. You know, no, um, I did. I did as well. But talking about the strangers, you know, what stands out to you about that movie? I know the kind of realism in the movie is one of the things that really makes that movie terrifying is the fact that that shit could happen, you know? Well, first of all, I live in row homes my whole life. Yeah. So the idea that someone could go on the side of your house never really came to me because i never lived in that scenario really yeah there's one house there's one house we had as a kid but there was always a fence and we had you know there didn't have that same kind of like ability like functionally yeah and then i was like man what the fuck do people do who don't have houses next to their house like holy shit people just go about us like i don't know how i don't know how that world works so that, that was terrifying yeah and really it was that scene where the murder wasn't celebrated by them yeah like he had to kill them and i think that, like you know he was like next time it's going to be easier and it showed a human side to the callousness and the torture and it's like they just had worked this entire time to get to that point yeah and that's a that's a very i i support that in in horror from time to time where like that brought the humanity of what death is because obviously the horror genre is bereft with just like everything you'd expect, you know, dead zombies, all this crazy shit, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's a million tropes 
and death and slicing people in half and all the stuff and chopping people up and you know whether it's a saw or the hostels you know you don't feel because you're not connected to the character but i feel like that wild ride of like when you know what's going to happen how is it going to happen and boom it really was dark the way they walked out and kind of ended it and it wasn't like a you know and again same thing like uh i guess you could say for no country for old men yeah like the the last scene Hey man, there was and, and you know there was no way she was getting out of this. It's like the that's a dark moment, and I and I find those kind of emotionally dark moments will put me more in like wow that movie was in, like emotionally impactful, mm. not in a good way. Not like oh man, yeah. this really, but like it's fucked the same way the movie The Road, which is another uh, um, Cormac McCarthy uh, based film. Yeah, you know the the road left you feeling like not great, but I think that that's what movies that are especially horror horrifying are supposed to do. You shouldn't always be able to walk out being like, "Dude, that was so badass!" How that guy did that. You should walk away feeling like unsettled. Otherwise, you're potentially completely sociopathic. Yeah, well, listen. The one thing about the strangers that's different between like the strangers and other uh, you know like slasher films and stuff is. You got uh, two victims that they kind of play cat and mouse with the whole time, and they do it in, like, a serious way. You know, a lot of times you at least have, like, seven or eight. And then on top of that, it's like they kind of came into their territory. You know, most slasher movies, you're used to, like, Texas Chainsaw. They show up at their house. Plus, like you were saying, as far as, like, celebrating the death, like, Hitchhiker's just, like, fucking bouncing around the whole time. He's stabbing Sally and shit. And uh, so, like, they're celebrating the death the whole time. And then, like, even Michael Myers, yeah, he comes into – Haddonfield but that's like his home still so like you know same with Crystal Lake but it's like these people were literally just going to their vacation home and just got fucking rolled up on by like complete strangers that just decided to fuck with them all night and then kill them it was like you know they weren't picking off people the whole time they were just like showing that they could come in when they wanted to you know they pretty much showed that they control that situation and I think that's what's scary is the fact that you know looking at the situation if you know, because there's still places that are so rural that you can get out there and have no cell service at all. So you get out there and have no bars, you could literally be in a situation where you lose control of it, you know, even being, you know, uh, not saying that the dude kind of acted like a little bitch, but I mean, he did kind of not, you know, he could have fought back a little harder, but even fighting back, it's like, if those are, if it's five people instead of three people, it's like the situation could be scary. Kind of like, you know, it could turn into more of like a green room, you know, somewhere out in the middle of the woods instead of being at a show or something like that. So. So one of the, one of the things I think about is the well, if this was real life, yeah, and uh, I feel as if if you're connected with a movie, you're captivated. If you're not connected, you're gonna start. Well, this would never really happen. Yeah, and uh, I don't really know what it would be like if someone was doing that to my house. I mean, I have crazy shit in my house, and you know, I've got swords, and I have a couple ideas, but. We, you're never really going to know what it's going to be like unless you're in that scenario. So I think it's easy to quarterback from the couch and say, oh, this is how it would really work. Yeah. But I mean, so like the movie that kind of came from the strangers or maybe didn't come from the strangers, but it was like an idea, like that movie you're next. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. It was like a weird off putting like kind of curve on that. And when like they slit that one dude's throat, like, dude, that's brutal, man. Like, yeah. you know, there's a couple of really brutal deaths in that, even though that was on the sillier end. And um, again, you know, I, I have no problem. <laughs> we watched uh, Faces of Death on YouTube just to kind of crack up and be like, 
I can't believe we were watching this as young as we were, you know, and like yeah. the trace of death had like the death metal background and shit. But like um, when you put a person in their perspective and they're struggling, like you wanted Sally to leave, you wanted her to get out. And only once you become a fan of horror, you're like on the other side, like, oh, it's a shame he didn't get her, yeah. you know, but like the story of Jason's a good one. And like the, you know, you can go back as far as Psycho. You know, like Psycho yeah. Super Psycho, the original black and white, dude. That's all pudding. But I mean, it's all pudding because the way it was a shot and the story was slow enough. I find modern horror sometimes has to be sped up, which is where the Hereditary's Midsummer's, the Witches, you know, the Hagu Zaza or whatever that was. <laughs> the the pace sets a tone. Yeah, that's what I look for in being excited, not excited like, oh, I can't wait, but like you want to be off put. Um, it makes the whole thing. You want to be almost uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, unless you're watching like a, like a tropey satanic panic, which is kind of fun. There's a couple of them in recent years, like that are just on shutter that, you know, but like Mandy's a, a completely different wild, like ride. Something totally unexpected, visually captivating, weird, you know, like, I don't know. There's so many different ones that uh, you can attach yourself to. Yeah. Same, Mandy's same like stuff. an epic of a horror movie, almost like to put it in like a, subgenre i guess you know like an epic sci-fi horror movie in a way but it's almost like sci-fi in a way of like nothing about it is sci-fi you know what i mean that that's a definitely a trip of a movie for sure that's one thing i love about it i think no and that's exactly what it is it's a, it's an actual trip yeah and I, and I think instead of just going back and forth on the same stuff it's good to take a visually like i mean that's what the void was the you know like it's good to take horror beyond the the slasher or the vampire you know like yeah. It's good to see it go because we already know where the other ones are have gone already, you know? Oh, yeah. So I usually uh, end the show with a few hypothetical questions, but to be honest, I usually have them set up for, like, musicians and stuff. Do you, uh, do you still play in any bands or anything? I mean, let's just shoot with the questions. I'm pretty good with uh, we'll ad hoc it. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, if anything, we could just do it as, like, hypothetical, like, you know, if you're in a band, you know. So say you had like a new project and uh, you put out a new album and stuff and they came up to you and said, we want to make a music video and we want to do it like a short film version of an old horror movie, like a little remake, you know, into a music video. What horror movie would you choose and how would you remake it into a music video? I mean, I would, I've, I've dropped some hints that definitely just in imagery, I've always enjoyed the seventh seal. Yeah. And um, specifically, I think the only thing that I'll add would be a little bit more, where they had the moment where the people, the priests were walking there, the ones flagellating themselves, scourging themselves for the plague. I've definitely, because of my interest in the Crusades, have always enjoyed reading about the plague and that era. And I, I think that that imagery, I, I mean, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey had death, but I think sometimes that imagery could definitely be reused and reworked yeah. and would be awesome in a video. Hell yeah. No doubt. That would be sick. So if, uh, kind of the same thing but with you know either an instrument or merch you know if you could have like a customized instrument or a customized backdrop or um you know say it was even like a this is hardcore shirt that was just custom you know for the festival that had like a horror theme to it you know what would you get and how would you get it customized you know uh i would say that the probably the coolest thing was uh slayers impaled heads oh yeah it's a t-shirt that ran in like the early nineties and it was the band members heads impaled. And it brings me back to Dracula and the scene of uh, Vlad with the people impaled. Mm -hmm. And I've, 
I've, I've seen a couple of different artworks, but I've never seen someone really try to reuse that impaled uh, bodies. And I think that that would be, I think overall you could probably do a pretty cool backdrop, uh, backdrop with something like that. Hell yeah. So uh, my final question for you is, do you have any horror stories of your own and they can be attached to, you know, like booking shows and playing music and stuff like that? Or it can be something just scary as shit that happened to you that just happened to you in real life or that you felt was like supernatural? I mean, I've had people shoot at me and I've been hit with a hammer and fucking stabbed. So some of the, some of the stuff, (laughs) some of the stuff that's like in movies, it's like, Oh yeah, that it definitely, you know, like, I mean, I find myself in real life being more traumatized Mm. and more um, like when certain movies have a specific deep resonance to my uh, childhood trauma. So like, um, because of my love for The Shining, I don't get affected by something like Jack when he's chopping through the door and stuff. But like, there's definitely some movies when I see for the first time, and there's a really abusive dad or something like that. Yeah. That it's definitely like it's gonna it's gonna throw you know they have that like like that Kill Bill music in the background like uh oh yeah like I've I've been especially as I'm getting older I'm kind of calming down and I'm not getting shot at and we're not getting into big fights anymore my emotions are starting to come back and you know, I'm a, I'm a softer version of myself, I guess. Yeah. Try not to but do that, those things at least. <laughs> yeah. I know. I like, yeah, I know I pour concrete, do jujitsu, do a podcast. I'm pretty fucking chill these days. It's sort of oh, fight. Yeah. But um, I would say that a lot of the times in the movies where I see like crazy domestic violence has always been like at different times, been very hard to deal with would yeah. probably be in a movie scenario in re- and and that would be directly reflected to real life. As far as horror stuff, you know, like we used to go into abandoned basement of a mental hospital that's famous here called Byberry. Fuck that. And we hung at cemeteries and me and my friends did some crazy shit with a mausoleum in Maine looking for stuff. Like pretty much done a lot of really the crazy headbanger shit that you wouldn't really expect people to do as a kid. You know, like, you know, we were playing with fucking, we were playing in cemeteries. So yeah, I've never felt the presence exactly of what someone would say a ghost, but I definitely felt unnerved in specific, New England, especially has like a very unnerving spot, but I feel like real life has such a fucking, has such a deeper, true horrific impact. Yeah. You know, um, something that stays with me a lot as a kid was um, a cousin of ours was stabbed to death in uh, a part of this grass. So, like, so you have that weird part of the concrete that's like a barrier before the, the um, gas pumps at a seven 11. Yeah. So it's you know, that weird stretch of grass that they just have. And this is a partition to keep it from driving directly into it. And he bled to death there and walking by that for a while would turn my stomach. Yeah. I know it's been a while, but still sorry to hear that. Or like, um, you know, uh, my friend, one of my best friends in the world killed himself and just go into his house to see his mother became something I couldn't, I couldn't bear to deal with. Yeah. You know, um, you know, um, a friend of mine overdosed, uh, probably like 18 years ago, maybe 19 years ago. And he froze to death cause he was, it was in the winter time. So not only did he overdose, but he, his body froze. Yeah. And like, so, you know, I, I like wouldn't take that train station. I feel like, Unfortunately for the surroundings and the situations, you know, there's enough real life trauma that I haven't had like a 
a spooky story, so to speak. It's just kind of like the flashbacks and imprints from early childhood trauma, or just like now trauma, just thinking about it, you know, like, yeah, you just kind of get trapped into, you know, I guess what would be considered like a post-traumatic experience. And I definitely have them regarding a couple things. Yeah. Sorry for getting bummed out at the end. Didn't want to bum me out. No, you're fine. I was just going to, I was actually going to say, sorry for, you know, making nah, man, it's life. a few, uh, no, it's thing. like, I mean, yeah. you know, like, I mean, again, like, I mean, my first, like I said in the beginning of this, you know, my first interaction with horror was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. But it wasn't, it was more, not, I mean, the movie was, but because of the age I was at and exposed to it. But it didn't stop me from all the things that I would be exposed myself to later on, you know? Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. I think that we use horror to deal with the real life trauma and by making it grotesque and sometimes comical and sometimes not so allegorical but exaggerative that we're able to deal with the realities of life and yet at the same time you know real life echoes and there is definitely stuff that you will if you have these kind of things that will stay with you forever you know yeah and now that i'm at that age where i reflect more and i'm an emotional person i reflect a lot on that and i think that's more unnerving than it kind of like creepy noises i may have heard or just like being weird staying at old hostels in europe you know yeah no i know exactly what you mean and i appreciate you sharing as well i mean i know that's you know like you said it's life but uh you know reality is way better (laughs) no no but see that's real horror you know like that's like that's that's the that's the that's the pinnacle of what the horror film is going for you know like in the in the horror film gene isn't you know stabbed in a street fight he's chased by somebody a slasher he still gets stabbed to death yeah but the the horror is thinking about a hundred feet from there is when we walk in to go to that 7-eleven every day and play street fighter 2 and then not wanting to go back to there because yeah. you didn't want to have to think about that person's blood that's the that's the juxtaposition of the movie horror into real life and i think that if you are a horror fan and you don't have to be exposed to that, you're lucky, but it doesn't make me less of one because I've been exposed to that. Oh no, definitely. I know what you mean. Like it didn't, uh, like instead of scaring you away from horror, like you said earlier on, uh, it definitely like you used it kind of as a tool to, you know, not necessarily, you know, cope or anything, but, you know, kind of just to see the, you know, comparisons and, you know, how it's trying to like, how it uses the trauma in a way to tell a story instead of just using it to traumatize you literally. Well, I mean, you aren't. Pro- you probably aren't going to get a lot out of a movie about vampires. Yeah. Like no one's watching Underworld and being like, "Oh my God, this reminds me of my childhood." Yeah. But it, you know, like the strangers, the strangers hits a little different, as the kids would say. Yeah. I saw the devil. There was a lot of personal loss, and you know, like a lot, I mean, the extreme circumstances of to which these people were traumatically killed, but in that very same vein, you know, like. Uh, I think that, you know, you can celebrate death and you can, and in a fucked up way by, I won't say, I guess I shouldn't use the word celebrate. We can acknowledge and use death in a playful way within horror to make light of what is the one thing that every human will have to deal with and yeah. most are afraid to do. And it's not wrong to do so. And I mean, it's really just like any other aspect, whether it's like, any other user media, you're going to find things that may trigger certain specific responses that you may not even expect, you know, whether, you know, or 
you may be numb to all of it, but like certain things will definitely resonate if you have past experiences, but it's not something to villainize a genre. It's not something to say, horror movie is so bad because I had this specific thing. So it's all bad. No, it's not it. Yeah. I actually, I actually think that like the same way that I was, I've always been like, um, I'm a big war. I'm a big war history buff. And I read a lot about it. And I also read a lot about the way, you know, people fought in different centuries. There's, there's still to this day, I can think of only a couple scenes more graphically, not disturbing, but ooh man, when that uh, in the scene in Saving Private Ryan, when they get into a fight in the guys in the one in the one room in the upstairs, the guy pulls his knife out, and at the beginning he's winning, but there's any he's on the ground, and it's the Jewish guy, and the Nazis guy is like basically telling him be quiet, be quiet, and the knife is getting closer to the chest, dude. That's a harrowing moment. Yeah, and I imagine, I imagine that there's people that had to go through that. You know, like movies should always captivate as close to some form of reality at times because that's where it's going to strike hard. Unfortunately, that means some people who have past experiences are going to feel it and be like, "Ooh, man, man, that one hit," <laughs> you yeah. know. And then, but then if you don't like that, just watch movies about werewolves and vampires and you know lizard people that kill you. I guess because the more you get closer to life, you're going to find fucking things that can parallel and can make that happen. Sorry for getting a deep. I sorry I don't want to derail your awesome show. I oh, know you're fine. It's completely cool. I appreciate you sharing, but no, I can't agree more uh, with what you're saying, you know, especially with, like you said, if it's, you know, for lack of a better word, if you really feel like something's too triggering, then, uh, you know, watch something else. If you, you know, for an example, you know, and I, you know, I hate to talk about it, but it's, you know, like you said, it's real horror, you know, if you've been, if you're a victim of rape and then you watch a rape revenge movie and it makes you feel sick, don't watch another rape revenge movie, you know, watch uh, Hereditary, you know, watch. Yeah, I, a movie, uh, what was it, The Last House on the Left? Yeah. I was, I was graphic the first time, more so the second time. And I, and I would imagine that it could trigger people. And yeah. But, but our job isn't to villainize the media, like the media format. Yeah. Or the art, it's kind of understanding like the best of art represents our life to some form of whether it's uh, as close to real life or telling a story. And you got to accept that these stories, you know, these aspects of stories are unfortunate and people are definitely going to feel it, but yeah, you shouldn't attack the media and you shouldn't attack the medium or the people creating it. You just have to kind of know like, Ooh, man, that's a movie. Like if there was a movie where the artwork was like, Oh, this guy stabs people's eyeballs. I'm not fucking watching it. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's really bad. I'm never going to fucking watch it because I don't want to close my eyes and go, oh, I don't want none of it in my eye. I'm telling you right now. You know, like, I'm, I would never watch it. Yeah, they, uh, you just got to always remember that uh, two victims of the same trauma might react differently. So it's like, you know, if you watch something and you feel like it reminds you too much of the trauma, just remember somebody else might watch it and feel empowered by it, you know, especially with, you know, the revenge part of, you know, in that, you know, aspect. A lot of times there is, a lot of times in movies when there is trauma that, you know, except for some slasher movies when they're literally, you know, are just killing people and stuff. Uh, when there's like, you know, when they use trauma in like a real way, they usually try to um, get some kind of, you know, I guess like for lack of a better word, justice for the protagonist in a way, you know what I mean? Or revenge or something like that. So. Well, that's a, cla- that's a classic trope and a, and a good storyboard to like write a story around it. Yeah. And revenge is always like, kind of something that you'll you'll read in every form of story 
since the beginning. But I think that, you know, there's just, there's just moments where things that happen on film will, re- will relate back to life. And yeah. the, sometimes the better they are at doing it, the more it hits you. And me personally, I, I know what media I look at, you know, I know what TV shows I watch. I know what TV uh, news I listen to. I know what podcasts I consume. You're, you're still going to get the result that you personally cho- choose. Yeah. No one, it's not clockwork orange. No one's going to hold your eyes to uh, make you watch it. So I never get upset by something that puts me emotionally in a different position. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. If I chose to watch it, I can't get mad that I chose to watch it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, exactly. But I mean, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, I know that you were apologizing for getting deep, but I definitely appreciate you, you know, sharing everything. And uh, do you want to tell people, you know, where they can find your podcast at and everything? Yeah, we have a simple website set up, which is just tihcpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way it routes back to our site. Hell yeah. New episodes come every single Friday. And all the apps, you know, the Spotify, the Apple, Amazon. Uh, I, I'm an Android dude, so I have it on Stitcher. We got it on Google, yeah. iHeartRadio. I mean, we're really having a lot of fun with this and um, just appreciate people listening. And it's actually really awesome. This is the first time I've been on a podcast to talk about my podcast. So you broke right. my cherry and being able to have me promote a podcast on a podcast. <laughs> awesome. And I appreciate the opportunity to speak on more than just hardcore shows and to be in the company of so many of my friends whose bands I've booked on shows. So thank you for having me. Oh yeah, man. No, I definitely appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing and everything. Oh yeah. And you can find, I, I'm on social media, the Instagrams, the Twitters. You guys can find me the Joe hardcore. It's not hard. And uh, sorry for bumming you guys out. Real life is cool. Horror is better. And um, I, I mean, that's all I can say about it. And just thanks for having me on the show. As always, I just want to say thanks again for listening and make sure you check back Tuesday as my guest is going to be the one and only Phil Vibes, vocalist of the band Knights of the Black and formerly of the legendary bands Irate and the Judas Syndrome. Now, with that being said, Make sure you follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out Loudmouth Thread to do this awesome original podcast artwork, and stay safe.